We're continuing on in our series called Mood Swingers because I know right now, man, our emotions and our moods, they are moving from peaks to valleys in quickness because there's additional stress and worry and anxiety. And so in this series, we want to help you, give you some tools to help you control the way those emotions are going because there's so many things that we feel inside that we know we shouldn't be feeling that way. We know this is not how God has designed me to feel. And so we need to take some practical steps to get those things under control and to honor God in the way that we live our life. And today, the thing we're talking about, this picture right here, that fire, that fire that's supposed to be inside of us, that passion. It's like you want this fire in your marriage. You want this fire in your spiritual life. You want this fire in just the way that you do your things. You want to live with passion. And so many times we start in an area of passion, but after time, it just fades and it fades to the point where it often feels like, man, that, that fire that I had, it's just gone out. And we only get one opportunity to live and we want to do it in a great way. We want to do it in a way that honors our heavenly father. And as I was preparing for this message, I came across this quote that I think will be encouraging to you. It's from a poem called Summer Day by Mary Oliver. And she at the end of the poem asks this question, what is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is it that you plan to do our passions, the things that we pour ourselves into, the things that we feel energized about, they don't just happen by chance, but it's something that we, we can decide. We can decide to pour ourselves into something. We can decide to be passionate about it in the way that we live. But we still have to figure out, okay, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get that fire inside of me? Now, I'm going to show you a video for fun, but I want to start with a disclaimer. Do not try this at home. I was under the instruction and the influence of a professional. My good friend, Dan Meyer, who's performed on America's Got Talent. He's been at Gulfside Church before. He has some crazy talents. But why, let, let me show you this video of what Dan talked me into doing. Look at this. You see this? That is real fire right there. And you can tell because I light my hand on fire and I close it because I'm like, that's enough of that. And, and then he instructs me, okay, Tap it on your tongue, light your tongue on fire a little bit. It, it tastes warm, surprisingly. And then he eats the fire. Check this out. That's impressive. It's also terrifying to try. You can see the hesitation, but boom, goes for it. And I survived and I did not burn anything on my face or in my mouth. Uh, there, there's lots of ways to get fire and passion inside of you. Fire eating is probably not the right way to go about it. But I want you to know, despite how tentative I looked on that, because I still was when I was doing it, that wasn't my first time doing that. In fact, Dan had taken me to the side for the week leading up to that service where we were having a service for middle school students and he was sharing the gospel with them and we were preaching to them and that was part of what we were doing. But we practiced that going up to it and it felt awesome to do that in front of my students. It felt awesome to pull that off. I don't know that I'll ever try it again, but it felt awesome to do it once. But here's the thing, I got to that amazing moment through practice, not by chance. That, that moment where it felt like a win, where it felt like success, it didn't just come out of the blue, it came because of practice. And so much 
of the passion that we desire to feel. So, so much of the winning moments that we desire to feel, they don't come from chance. They don't come from just getting pushed around by life's circumstance, but they come from what we practice and what we do. I want to take you to the book of Revelations today. In chapter 2, starting at verse 4, God is speaking to the church And he writes this, and he gives them a compliment on things that they're doing well, but in verse four, he starts to give them some correction, some ways to fix their passion because this problem had started off. Revelations chapter two, verse four, we'll put it up on the screen. It says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now look, as he's writing, he's correcting them, and this is something that I think just feels so relevant because it's an experience that we all kind of tumble through. That it's like we start off, and we start off really well on something, but then the passion, it, it starts to dwindle. It starts to diminish. It starts to be extinguished. And he says, you don't love me the way that you loved me at first. And I think that's relatable for so many of us that we start off on our journey with Christ and we have this passion to know him and to walk with him closely. But then we, we kind of stop doing some things. Some things interject themselves into our schedule and we fall out of the rhythm that we really liked. And that that passion goes down. And he doesn't just say, you stopped loving me the way that you were supposed to. It's interesting and just see how close to the heart of God this is. You stopped loving each other. Because man, there is an intimate connection between how we love God and how we love the people that he surrounded us with. He, he sees these two things as connected and, and, and he, he tells us you can't love God whom you haven't seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen. These two things, they go together. And, and he corrects and he says that he uses the term repent. You, you need to actually change directions and if you don't, then what it says is I'm gonna remove, and it uses this illustration, I'm gonna remove the lampstand that that is there with you. Now we don't use lampstands a whole lot anymore and we often just think of them as being decorative but they actually serve a purpose. A lampstand, when you have a lamp or a candle and and it's lighting up the room, you don't take it and put it down onto the floor. In fact, you elevate it. This is why we have lights on our ceilings and not our floors in our home because when you elevate the light, it can be seen by more places. But what this passage is saying is that you were placed on this lampstand. You you were being a light to the area that was around you. But if you're not going to light up your area, then you don't need to be elevated. You don't need to be in that position because you're not fulfilling your purpose. And so if this light has gone out, there's no reason for you to be up here. I mean, we've seen this principle happen in so many different places. We've seen it with pastors, that that as a pastor is put into this position of authority and teaching, but this passion for reaching the lost, this passion for the word of God, this passion for seeing the church grow, when it dies out, it becomes a very unhealthy situation when a pastor is in a position, but that passion isn't there. 
We see this happen in marriages. It's like, I've been put in this position as husband, but the passion for the other person has gone out, and it's hard to stay in that position without that passion. And this is what he's saying in verse five, is that when you are losing that passion, losing that passion leads you to losing that position. And this is the first point I want you to see. Losing passion leads to losing position. This is a principle that we see happen in marriages. We see it happen in jobs. We see it happen in friendships. We see it happen in interests. It's true, it's true spiritually, but it's true in other areas as well. And so when this passion goes out, you don't need to be elevated anymore. The reason that you're in that spot is because of the passion that you have. And the loss of that passion, it doesn't just happen, it actually happens because of what we've stopped doing. Now listen to me, you didn't just lose your passion if it's gone away, you left your passion if it's gone away. I mean, this is what the passage begins to point out. It says, look, you're not doing the things that you did when you first came to know me. The the things, the practices, the things that you were doing, if you'll start to do them again, then that, that flame will come back, that passion will come back. There are practices that we have to bring into our life. I mean, the same thing, we don't use the lampstand so much, but with a light bulb. Now maybe your family is like me where you have a number of light bulbs that are still up in your house that have blown out. And it's not like you leave them there for decorative purposes or for memories. Man, do you remember how good it was when that light bulb actually worked and when it actually lit up our house? No, when you, I'm actually making you think about it now. Some of you guys wanna go get a light bulb out of the closet because you're watching this at home and you're like, I need to fix that because it's dumb to have a burnt out light bulb sitting up there where it's not lighting up the room. And so what you do, the position that this was in, where it was elevated in your house and it was lighting up the room, when it's no longer doing its job, you take it out, you throw it out, that's its new position, in the garbage can. And you put one in there that's gonna do it. And this is what God was saying to the church that had lost its first passion. When you lose that passion, you don't keep the position. We see this happen in pastors, we see this happen in churches. When the people of the church lose their passion for their city, for reaching the lost, for for living out the word of God, that church becomes cold. It becomes stale, it becomes unwelcoming, it becomes angry. We wanna argue about the carpets and things that don't matter in the kingdom of God. We become distracted. And the church loses its influence in the city, it loses its numbers, it loses its building, it closes its doors because the passion went out. We see it in marriages happen all the time. That, that passion that was first there for the other person. Over the years and the kids and the busyness, the passion just died off. But how did it die off? Well, you stopped doing the date nights. You stopped writing the love notes. You stopped looking at that other person with love and desire. And these little things, these little practices that we know they have to be part of a healthy marriage, those little things disappear to where the passion is gone. This is true in so many areas. We are all so familiar with seeing passions diminish and flame out and be extinguished, but this is the good news, that that doesn't have to be the story for you. Even if the passion feels dead right now, God loves bringing the dead back to life. He loves seeing seeing life come to dead places and where it's felt like it's hopeless, God loves to work a miracle. And so we have the ability to see God work in our life, in our relationship with him, in our marriage, in our friendships, in our workplace. He loves 
loves seeing that passion come back to life. And he's given us really simple instructions to begin to help get that back where it's supposed to be. And so as we continue into the passage, we see a clear explanation in verse five. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me now and look at this. And do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. We talked about the fact that when you lose passion, you, ought, you lose position, that things change. But this is how we get back on track. It, it's really simple, but it's really challenging. Do the works you did at first. And I don't want you to hear this as we are going to earn God's love or earn God's favor, but there's an element to the living of our faith that we have things that we have to be doing, that we have to be living. You need to do the things that you did at first. You need to think true thoughts and see things accurately because we have often bought into lies about the person that we love or about the God who loves us. And we've bought into things that aren't true and we need to see them clearly. And when it comes to our relationship with God and who Jesus Christ is supposed to be with us, Ephesians 1 spells it out beautifully. In verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now listen to me. Seeing things clearly, it starts with this revelation that is in Ephesians chapter one first, that Christ is to have the supremacy in everything. That if you're not giving God his proper position in these areas of your life, nothing else is going to work right. Our passions, they're going to be misplaced and they're going to fire out. But when we put him first, that helps set the foundation for everything else to work correctly. When you put God first in your life, it helps fix your marriage. You can't build a marriage except for on the foundation of Jesus Christ because it's too hard. It's too difficult. It wasn't designed to work that way. As I've taught about marriage before, there's some misconceptions that exist even within the church. I've literally had people come and attempt to correct me as I've taught about marriage because one of the starting points, the foundation for a healthy marriage is submitting one to another as Ephesians 5 says. And Christians have even come to me and said, now in Ephesians 5, doesn't it just say for the, the wife to submit to the husband? It says that, but it also says to submit to one another. I want to show you Ephesians 5 verse 21 so that you see it clearly. Submit to one another husband and wife, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now look, when Christ has the supremacy in your life, when he is in charge of everything, it changes the way that you treat your spouse. It changes the way that you see other people because you recognize the way that I treat them, the way that I treat another, isn't based on them. It's based on him. Because of my love for him, I will do anything for them. And this is how a marriage is supposed to work. This is what's supposed to keep the passion inside of a marriage. Each person, the wife and the husband, are supposed to be trying to outserve one another, to meet each other's needs beyond their own needs, not just worrying about themselves, but considering each other better than themselves. By serving each other in this way, they lift up the name of Christ. 
The, the, seeing our world clearly is seeing that Christ gets the supremacy in everything and it changes our relationships. Just even at the beginning, God said, you, you've fallen out of love with me and you've stopped loving each other. These two things are connected and our love for one another is based upon the foundation of our love for God. It has to start there. And so one of the ways, if you're saying, I need to see my marriage revitalized, I need to see the love and the passion put back in it, one of the places you have to start is by getting that foundation right. Because when you have that, it makes the rest of it fall into place. We need to think true thoughts about the way the world works and about what matters, not our pride, but serving Christ by serving other people. We need to think accurate and true thoughts about the worth of other people. The other thing that we have to do is we need to open his word with expectation. Now look, I understand some of us, we haven't even been opening the Bible on our own at all. And I'm not just asking you to begin to read the Bible, but I'm asking you to read it with expectation that when I open up the word of God, that my heavenly father is going to speak to me, that the spirit of God is gonna move through the word of God to affect my heart, to affect my mind, to change my, my life and my behaviors to give me the strength and the awareness of the things that I need to know going into my day. We need to be a people that like when we first came to faith and we opened up the Bible and it, and it gave us an instruction that we said, okay, I'm doing it. And, and you need to open up your Bible again with the expectation that as I read it, God is gonna speak to me and I expect that when he speaks to me, I'm gonna listen to him. We need to be people who open up the word with expectation. We need to pray with faith. We need to pray with the kind of faith that says, God, thank you. I know that you answer. I know that you love. Will you please work in my family? Will you please heal my marriage? Will you please heal my, my family member who is sick? And we need to pray with expectation and get that fire going because God loves to answer prayers. He loves to show his goodness. He loves to show his hand, but he wants us to be seeking him in prayer. We need to step out in faith. We need to serve other people. These are things that we do. When we think of a new Christian, these are things that we associate with him. Why is it somewhere in the middle that that gets lost? We're, we're called back to that. Get back to that first love where you want to step out in faith, where you see an opportunity to serve a neighbor and you grab a hold of it, not just because you're helping someone else, but because you're honoring your heavenly father, because you're giving Christ the supremacy in your life. We need to step out in faith and take risks. We need to give generously to those who have needs. And right now we see so many needs around us, so many people who are applying for unemployment benefits, so many people who need help with groceries, so many people who need help around their house. There's so many things that are happening right now and we need to be a type of people who are excited for that opportunity not burdened by it can you hear me on that that, that when God gives us the opportunity to serve someone else that we see this as an opportunity to serve Jesus Christ and so we are excited to take it and we are not burdened by it we, we are thankful for these opportunities to serve someone else in our city and that's part of living that passion that it's not oh I have to do it but it's oh I get to do it and thankful that God gave us that opportunity and today, as we worship together, and next week when we worship online, and when we get to the point where we finally get to get back in the same building together, we need to choose to worship with passion. That this is our brief time where we get to worship our Heavenly Father while He, was, while he is unseen. 
In the future, we will worship him in his presence and that will be different, but there is something special and there is something that is celebrated in heaven when we live by faith right now. And this is something that you choose to do. This isn't just, oh, I got swept up in the emotion of being with the church. It's walking in and saying, this is my opportunity on this side of heaven to lift him up. And so I'm gonna sing in freedom. Um, My hands might go up, they might stay down, but I'm gonna do what I feel like is a proper expression and I'm gonna bring my passion before him. I don't care what other people think because I'm not worshiping them. I'm worshiping him. And and I don't, it doesn't matter if the song is my favorite song, if it speaks of the truth of God, if I can honor him in my heart as I sing to him, I'm gonna worship despite the song, despite the people, despite the lights, despite whatever else might be in the environment, I'm gonna worship him because I choose to because I have been designed to worship him and so nothing is going to stop me and and that's the kind of passion that we want but man it's such a simple choice to make it feels like such a big hurdle to get over but it's such a simple thing to say I love him he is worthy of it he is supreme in all and so I'm going to worship him in this place and so it's these really simple things that we can do that choose to do to rekindle that passion it hasn't just slipped away it hasn't been stolen from us we left it and we have to move back to it and so I want to I want to say it this way we need to rekindle the passion by reintroducing practice. Practice. I'm talking about practice because what happens in a game in sports is what happens in practice. And and I'll tell you, I'm someone who I, I enjoy practice because quite honestly, I'm a little bit addicted to winning. I hate to lose. It drives me nuts. I can think about games that I've lost from over 20 years ago and it still grinds on me. And, and so because I like to win, and I'm gonna tell you, this isn't just my problem. I know some of you guys share this because I played sports with some of you guys and it's also in my household. There's stories about my wife's competitive nature that I am forbidden to share with you today. It, it, it's gone through our gene pool as well. Our kids, one of my daughters, when she started playing soccer, she wanted to be the one to score the goal so badly that she cried when her teammates scored because she wanted to be. And I'm going to tell you, because we love that feeling of winning. But now that child is getting to the point in her life where I've told her, if you don't practice, you will not get that feeling of winning. So if you really do like that feeling, what you need to do in practice is going to lead you to that. Like if you, if you don't work hard, if you don't exercise, if you don't practice ball control with that soccer ball, you will not put that ball in the net in a soccer game. And we understand that, that more practice leads to better performance in a game. Now listen, you feel a certain way in your life right now. I understand this is going to be sensitive, but hear me from a heart for love because I don't want to see you living this in the future. The majority of what you're feeling right now in your life, you've gotten there from decisions and practices that you've done over and over. And this isn't true for everyone, but this is gonna be true for some. You've woken up and you've ignored God. You've gone through the day and you've disregarded his blessings and his promptings and his calls. You've done things that you know are destructive, that are prohibited by scripture because he knows that will tear apart your heart if you live that way. If you allow that in, you have continued to do practices that will not lead you towards that feeling of winning. You have practiced things that lead to destruction. And and we often get into that and we don't recognize it. Or because the world says, oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't really affect you. We've trusted the world 
over God's word. And so what I want to call you back to is what are the practices that fire up your passions for God? What are the practices that scripture says, if you do this, it will go well with you? Because what we practice, it matters in our marriages, in our jobs, in our lives, in our faith. I want you to see how James chapter two describes this. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now look, you're not saved by works, but there is an element of works that is so critical to living out your faith that James describes it as breathing. That if there aren't good works happening in your life, listen, if there are not good works happening in your life, not my life, not other people of the church, not other people that you know, if there's not good works happening in your life, then spiritually, it's as if you've stopped breathing. And so is it any wonder that our passion for the things of God feels dead when we have stopped practicing good works? Because James says, it's your breath. Without it, you die, spiritually. And so this is the good news that, that God says, you don't have to stay dead. That, that no matter how messed up and how jaded you feel like you've been, that the gospel is able to breathe new life into you. No matter how many, listen, stop making excuses. No matter how many times it's been, God has a new start for you. He has a calling and he desires for you to get moving in the right direction again. I wanna illustrate it to you like this. So your life at some point, because of your decisions, because of things that happened, because of the way that you'd been living. It's like you injected some things that you know were not healthy or good for your life. And what seemed like a small drop slowly spread into the, all the areas where you eventually feel like your life doesn't look the way that it should anymore. And when you try to get started, in adding something that's good, let's say one practice, it's like, and this is the danger because when we get started, we feel like, man, look at how messed up my life has gotten. It, it doesn't even look like it used to look because of these decisions, because the way that I've been living for the last few years, it doesn't look the way that it should. And I'm gonna try to do some things God's way, but man, when I poured it in, it didn't change anything. And we think it's like if we just for a week start a behavior that it's gonna erase everything and the habits will all easily go away. And I wanna tell you, it's not about fixing everything this week, but it's about beginning to change the concentration of what's in your life. By bringing some practices in, you're gonna to begin to upset the order because it's like, okay, I, I did a little bit and, and, and it began to spill in and it's like, man, it didn't fix everything, but the, the color is beginning to shift. And, and as I walk with God and I just let his grace pour out, that this is what begins to happen. And, and we begin to pour and we allow the concentration to change and change and change. That our situation changes and we're pouring and, and we let God just continue to pour in the things that we need in our life over time. We see the concentration has changed and the life doesn't look anything like the mess that it used to look. And so this is what I'm asking of you, church. I'm asking you to identify one practice, one starting point. This is the challenge that I want you to take. 
Reintroduce one practice into your life that rekindles your passion. Reintroduce one practice into your life that rekindles your passion. Not with the mindset that it's gonna fix everything this week. Not with the mindset that it's gonna change everything dramatically in my life, but with the mindset that it's gonna begin to change the concentration of what's been in my life. That the things that were destructive that have been the description of who I am, that will begin to change as God's love pours into my heart, into my life, and slowly, but I promise you this, surely, God will begin to change the way your life is lived. God will change the way your family works. He will change the joy that you have. He will change the passion that you feel. But if you wanna feel that passion for him again, if you wanna feel that passion for the things that are supposed to be important, it starts with what you practice. So church, what are you gonna practice this week that leads you back to where you're supposed to be? Find that one thing. Find that one area and begin to practice what the word of God calls us to.